listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Coming up, another good day on the share market, but is it just a dead cat bounce? The US Fed decision later tonight, and we speak with the Sri Lankan-based CEO of Dilma Tea. That's coming up. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Wednesday, the 22nd of March, 2023. Later, the IMF bails out Sri Lanka to the tune of $4.3 billion. We'll get a business perspective with the CEO of one of the country's largest companies, Dilma T. But first, we'll start with the Australian share market, which rose 0.9% on the S&P ASX 200. That's actually its biggest daily gain in two months. And that's despite all the banking worries. For more, I spoke earlier with June Bay Lee from Tribeca Investment Partners. The investors have finally gotten over the fear that of the um, spillover of the banking crisis from the overseas. Um, there's a little bit more confidence returning, particularly in the financial sector. I guess, in a way, the investors realizing our banks are reasonably well capitalized. So, um, you know, it's a sigh of relief and uh, it's good to see a green day in the market. So two days of um, gains in a row here in Australia. Global markets are also doing well. But do you think what we're seeing is a dead cat bounce? Surely investors haven't just all of a sudden forgotten about the potential concerns or ongoing concerns about the banking crisis. Yeah, look, um, I wouldn't call a dead cat bounce. I think, you know, there is a bit more volatility to come, but we're getting very close. It certainly seems like the banking crisis overseas is well contained because the central banks and the government sort of stepped in really, really quickly to contain those risks. So it looks like it's OK. Now, what's really important is tonight to see what Fed does, um, you know, whether they increase the interest rate 50 or 25 basis point. Now, if they increase by 25, it is a good sign that interest rate increase may be slower than previously expected or maybe less than previously expected, and that would be pretty positive for the market. Uh, Today, at the same time, energy companies are doing particularly well. Why? Look, they, again, it's, it's one of those reversal days that they have fallen so much as a result of the fear of global recession, fear of the banking crisis spillover. Um, and now today is finally just catch on a bit of a bit um, uh, well, with, uh, with market confidence returning. Okay, so we know that interest rates may still have to rise, albeit at uh, a less aggressive path now because of what we're seeing with the banking crisis. Inflation is still a problem. Where do you see the opportunities for investors? Look, the opportunity lies in a lot of companies that just recently been sold off. So um, if you actually look at the commodity businesses, the resources companies, um, they're actually pretty well positioned and they've all been sold off in the last week or so on the base of fear of, you know, spillover. I think they are due for a very good rally as the China reopens and a lot of stats and the numbers out of China is looking very strong. Uh, so some of the big miners looking very interesting. And also the healthcare companies looks very strong um, because they're recession proof and, uh, and they will continue to grow. You need to fight inflation with growth in the portfolio. June Bailu there from Tribeca Investment Partners. From the Australian share market, let's now go to the Sri Lankan economy, where the IMF has agreed to bail out Sri Lanka to the tune of $4.3 billion. The island nation has been enduring its worst economic crisis in seven decades. So where to now? For a business perspective, Dylan Fernando, he is the Dilma's T CEO, is in Australia, and I spoke earlier with him. 
It was cataclysmic, nothing short of that. There was a shortage of fuel which expressed itself in the, in the streets, wherever you turned. There was evidence of shortages of medicine, of food, and there was a multitude of crises that happened at once, and the impact on the lives of the people was terrible. But the fortunate thing is that Sri Lankans are a resilient people. We proved that, and having overcome the divisions of politics, the unity that was expressed in Goldface Green, where we had many of the protests and so on, and paved the way for a reaction to the crisis, a constructive reaction to the crisis, has now brought us to a situation where we have a vastly different Sri Lanka ready to rise again. I guess part of that reaction has been that 2.9 billion US dollar uh, bailout by the International Monetary Fund. Just how significant is it? It is hugely significant. The IMF loan is something that we have aspired to and which the country has worked towards for the past year. It's not something that comes easy, as you would imagine, given the numbers involved, and it is something that required a multitude of adjustments. They included taxation, included limitation on on imports and the use of Sri Lanka's limited foreign currency reserves, and so incorporated adaptation across every sector of, of human activity in Sri Lanka. Businesses hugely constrained by the issues linked to energy and the cost increases that we have now uh, encountered. But ultimately, the really special thing about Sri Lanka and its resilience is the fact that people have understood the scale of the crisis. Of course, there are protests and there have been protests, but by and large, people have understood that there are adjustments that are required to earn this. And now that we have earned it, I think we all recognize, certainly in the business community, recognize the fact that this is a huge vote of confidence by the international community, but there's a lot of hard work to be done. Speaking of hard work, just how do you think it should be managed to give Sri Lanka and its people a way out of recession, and I guess poverty for many? It's a incredibly complex situation with the social, economic, the macroeconomic, the debt, uh, the, the bilateral negotiations with our donors, and of course the political, domestic and international political implications. However, the urgency is to realign the activities, the economic affairs of our government. And that has already begun in terms of looking at the state-owned enterprises. There are many which have been bleeding over the years, creating an unsustainable burden that added to the mismanagement of the economy and the corruption that we had in the past to create this explosion which manifested in the lives of innocent people. And so we now have a priority, a multitude of priorities, whether it is restoring the essential medicines that are required, that hospitals have run short of on many instances, or whether it is restoring the the food security, which was also affected by a further issue connected with the the former government trying to move entirely towards uh, organic. Um, There's a multitude of situations, but the most important thing is tourism is on the rise. The country is back on its feet. We were down for a while and people saw it visibly, but we are back on our feet. Visitors today might come, visit Sri Lanka, enjoy the country and leave without knowing of any underlying crisis. The people feel the crisis, but we are back on our feet and we are looking upward. 
And on people, uh, what role does your business play in that economic recovery? Tea plantation workers have long complained about low wages for many years, so what measure would you take to improve their lives? Well, every business bears a very different level of responsibility right now, and Sri Lanka needs successful businesses. My father formed our business on a foundation of family business serving humanity and that involves kindness to people and nature. So a minimum 15% of our pre-tax earnings are shared with people through construction of hospitals, we have schools, we have uh, vocational training centers and every business needs to understand and shoulder this responsibility because right now it's not only about caring for our workers, it is also for looking after their families, for supporting them through um, things like scholarships to ease the mental health issues that they have uh, within their families. It is uh, building uh, hospital capacity as we have done if that's, that's required. But also it's about helping the government because one of the important facets of this recovery is for Sri Lanka to achieve economic sustainability, it needs to be exporting more, which means which means it needs to be expanding its value addition. We have incredible produce, whether it is cinnamon, cashew, tea. Now, the Australian Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, visited India for the first ever India-Australia summit meeting recently. The two nations are building their economic ties. Is there a way you see Sri Lanka benefiting from this, or is there a role that Australia can further play to enhance its relationship with Sri Lanka? Australia is doing plenty right now in the Sri Lankan economy, including supporting agricultural um, entrepreneurship, including looking at, at training of chefs, and there's a multitude of skills development and other activities. But where India is concerned, yes, the reality of it is that politics aside, we are a close neighbour. India has been very benevolent in supporting us through our crisis, as has Australia. And so we need to acknowledge the geographic reality of our location and we are inextricably connected economically and socially with India. And so I think, yes, any growth in India has a potential benefit for Sri Lanka, not only tourism. The Indian community has been very supportive of, of Sri Lanka in the time of crisis, but so has Australia. From the time of your cricket team, that day that your cricket team decided to visit, and as they toured Sri Lanka, they gave not just... A, ma a few matches and a, and a great uh, uh, sport for Sri Lanka to watch, but they also gave us encouragement at a time when we were downcast in a very, in a really incomprehensible way. Just finally, last year you were quoted as saying renewed interest from Gen Z and millennials in higher quality teas was driving them to the higher end of the market. Is this still the case? And how does one innovate in the tea industry? Gen Z and the millennials are our greatest friends because what they desire is authenticity. It is authenticity that defines luxury. But they also want natural, plant-based goodness. They want wellness that fuels immune support, that fuels better health, and tea has all of that. So the innovation that we talked of, that I mentioned last year, is connected really not so much with uh, technological innovation, but innovation as, as producers. For us, innovation is going back to basics, going back to the plant, going back to the fact that 
a tea that is made in the traditional artisanal way that my father came first and offered Australians, it has the fingerprint of nature because you have brightness that comes from the wind, you have intensity that comes from humidity and sunshine and so on. It is truly a product that is induced and crafted by nature with all of these different aspects uh, uh, traceable to a specific aspect of its terroir. And this is the magic that validates any product and earns the respect and the appreciation of Gen Z and millennials. I think for us, it is that that will bring value back into the tea category because since the global financial crisis, you have a discount culture that has destroyed quality to a large extent. So for us, there can be no compromise on certain principles of quality, of, of sustainability, or of ethics, of the social aspects of our product. And so it has been extremely difficult. But with this, with the partnership with Gen Z and millennials and their appreciation of everything that we stand for, I think we have a bright future ahead of us, not just for Dilma, but hopefully also for Sri Lanka. That's the Dilma Tea CEO, Dilan Fernando. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for informational purposes only. The content in this stream should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and it does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.